There's so many things that we just go through the day and we don't question because that's just what people say. This is what it is and this is what you do. And as you start to step back and you realize there's really not a whole heck of a lot of rules, people I think just don't question things nearly enough. What's going on, guys? This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Chris Mamula from CanIRetireYet.com. Chris is a successful early retirement story. He retired at 41 years old. And today we're talking about his story of getting into financial independence, important lessons that he taught in his book, Choose FI, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence, things that you can do and steps you can take, ways you can think about preparing to retire early. If that's something you want to do, not everybody wants to do that, but normally we talk about real estate investing on this show and we're going to start incorporating some of these fire lessons, the financial independence movement and talk about what it takes to retire early or retire on time to meet your retirement goals. Because what's the point of investing in real estate, doing all this work making these things happen if we don't have an end goal in mind, if we don't have an overarching strategy for managing our personal finances and meeting whatever our goal is for retirement. Not everybody wants to retire early. Maybe we just want to get to a point where we're financially secure. And that is part of the FIRE movement. Because if you're ready to retire, you're financially secure. You don't have to worry. So today we're talking about the important lessons of getting into the FIRE movement and what it takes to become FIRE become financially independent and retire early. You're going to learn some great lessons on this one. I learned plenty. There's many, many things. There are many things that I need to do, lessons I need to take out of here, and you may just learn something as well. For those of you who don't know, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Happy to bring this interview to you today. Once again, our guest is Chris Mamula from CanIRetireYet.com. And without any further ado, here we go. Chris, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure to be here and talk with you. Excited to talk about financial independence, what it takes to retire early, your story, all that great stuff. For folks out there who don't know about you and haven't read your book, can you tell us about what you do and how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So I think I grew up with a pretty standard view of personal finance. I went to school. I was a physical therapist and uh, my wife, she has a couple of different degrees, and uh, but we both had pretty traditional jobs, um, professional jobs above average salaries, but uh, neither of us ever made six-figure incomes. And if you would have told me like when I was 25 or 30 that you can retire at 40, I would have kind of rolled my eyes and thought it was like a scam. But we just, uh, we knew we wanted something really different. And so we started living this different lifestyle where we started basically saving 50% of our income. We lived off of one of our salaries and banked the other, just knowing we wanted something different, really not knowing what was possible. And then we kind of figured it out as we went. And I ended up retiring from my career as a physical therapist at 41. We moved from Western Pennsylvania to Utah, where I kind of, uh, I guess I'm a full-time ski bum and I, I write a little bit <laughs> for like hobby and, and some income and just uh, kind of keep myself interested and in to help others by spreading this message and showing that it's possible for normal people. That's incredible. I mean, live, especially living on half of your income. And it sounds like from what you said, you, you both weren't even, you weren't like super high earners, but you're still able to achieve that. So let's walk through a few of the strategies that you used because 
for example, a lot of folks in the fire movement talk about max out your 401k, max out all these tax advantage accounts, but you're not old enough to really take advantage of that yet at retiring at 41. So what does that strategy look like to really get enough socked away and make it happen at 41 years old? Yeah. So, so what I learned, uh, and we really were really ignorant on the investing and tax planning side until we were about a decade in. Wow. Um, so like we were just kind of blindly making mistakes. We followed a, the advice of a financial advisor and, and we actually made a lot of mistakes, um, but we got the big things right. And so what we talk about, I, so I wrote a book with the guys who do the, the Choose FI podcast and our book is Choose FI, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. And we really kind of break this down. And there's really only three levers that you have. You can, you can spend less, you can earn more, and you can invest better. People don't really like to talk about the spend less side because I think that a lot of people view that as, as suffering and sacrifice. But what my wife and I really did without knowing anything about investing, without knowing anything about tax planning, we just got the structural things right. So we, we didn't spend a whole lot on housing. We didn't spend a whole lot on cars. And then the other big thing that you can control is your food expenses. And we weren't as good there, but we did okay. Uh, so if you get like housing, cars, and food, that's for most people, that's about 50% of what they spend their money on. So if you can optimize those things, you don't have to suffer and sacrifice on you know your lattes and your cable and all these little things that people talk about, not that those don't matter and they don't add up over time, but it's just, they're really not going to move the needle if you don't get the big things right. So we really, we kind of started there and, and that's where my wife and I did really well. We, uh, we paid our mortgage off in about seven years. We never had a car payment ever. So, I mean, we've both, we had, we're a two car household, but we never had a car payment, never paid a penny of interest. And really that was our big wins. And just by doing that, we were able to live off one of our professional incomes and bank the other one. That's really, that's really awesome. Really admirable that you were able to do that. Now, one of the things that I think about is I personally, I keep my housing costs fairly low. I live in a fairly modest place. The thing behind me is actually a green screen. So I don't live there. It's much nicer than my actual place. But you know, if I think about paying off my mortgage really quickly, I mean, looking at the interest rate and what I pay in mortgage interest every year, it's fairly negligible. It's actually not that much money just because I, I live in a fairly modest accommodation. In the kind of fire movement, when you think about paying off that mortgage early, is that part of the calculation? I mean, there's an opportunity cost where you could take those funds and invest them in an index fund or a cash flowing piece of real estate or, or something along those lines? Or is it more of a, I want to get out of debt, you know, just the, I hate to say emotional because it sounds dismissive, but it's not meant to be the more emotional aspect of, I want to be out of all forms of debt. Yeah. So one of the things that, that I would say is that I mentioned we started really not knowing what the heck we were doing and we were just kind of throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what stuck. <laughs> sure. And so um, I think if we would have optimized and particularly, so you have to go back in time, we were paying off our mortgage. We were really kind of going all out after it, like 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010. And as a stock market investor, really as anything, mm -hmm. that's when everything bottomed out. And that would have been a great time to be picking up assets. So, I mean, especially in retrospect, it wasn't optimized, but I mean, almost any time, and particularly now with interest rates being so low, I don't think that's the optimal path to get to financial independence as quickly as you can. That being said, I don't regret our decision at all to get debt-free really quickly. What we talk about a lot is, like, I think a lot of people look at it like as this dichotomy, zero to one, yes or no, you're financial independent or you're not. And we kind of look at it as like, you have these, you progressively get more and more independence. And so by the time we had our daughter, my wife was 36, we had no mortgage, we had a lot of savings, we were not in a position where we could retire and live off our investments forever. 
but with very little liabilities, no car payment, no mortgage. She cut back and she's never gone back to work full time since then. So she started working about 30 hours and she really found that she likes that. So that's about what she does to this point in time. Still, she works remotely. And so we kind of, we started to have this lifestyle, um, the ability to shape our lifestyle. And then four years later, uh, when I was 41, I was able to leave my career. And just by having her part-time income, uh, we're actually in my quote unquote retirement. Um, like people talk a lot in the early retirement community about like how much can you draw down and what's like, there's a lot of talk about the 4% rule and things like that. In my quote unquote retirement, we're actually net savers last year. Wow. In our, my first year of retirement, when we were moving across country, we bought a house we probably withdrew 1%. Um, so when you have your structural costs low, it gives you a lot of freedom very early in life. And then the other thing, a, a big challenge people have in early retirement is you have to figure out how are you going to get healthcare. Yes. And right now we're still okay because through her part-time work, this is the other reason she continues to work part-time is we're able to get healthcare through her employer. But at some point she's going to want to cut back more too. And we have to, when you have to buy on the marketplace, assuming things stay as they are, you can get pretty nice subsidies if you don't need a lot of income. And so your health insurance, um, if you need to earn a lot of income, which you may need to do to pay a mortgage, then that can wipe out a lot of those subsidies because you have to generate income, whether it be through earning income or through your investments. But if you can keep your income needs low, then you can keep your income low. And if you keep your income low, you can get a lot of subsidies for your health insurance and get it for free or close to it. And so it's a big advantage for early retirees who understand the tax law. So like I said, I don't regret paying my mortgage, but there's definitely downsides to it too. And it's a personal decision. Interesting. Well, I actually find it quite encouraging that maybe if you were in the situation today, just maybe fast forward your situation 10 years, maybe you got started 10 years later, you're 10 years younger, whatever, maybe you would make a slightly different decision now considering where interest rates are. But even though, I don't know, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but it, if you were to say that maybe you made a suboptimal decision or whatever, you're still able to achieve a fantastic early retirement. Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely say I made a suboptimal decision back then. I, I would maybe push back a little bit, okay. particularly like if you're buying bonds now. So if you're paying a three or 4% mortgage and you're buying bonds at three quarters of a percent for government bonds, I mean, that's still not a good trade-off. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's all, you always have to look at like, what are you doing and what are you not doing? What are the alternatives? So, I mean, there's, I still think there's arguments for paying off a mortgage, particularly I'm very happy like going into early retirement, not having a mortgage. If I was still accumulating, I probably would still be carrying, but, and different people will argue against me and, and I would not say that I'm right or they're right. Uh, there's, again, it's a very personal decision. Okay. Okay. So the three, you know, going back to the the process or the, the, the summary, it's you can save more, you can earn more and invest better. So I'd like to move on to, we, we talked a little bit about save more, I'd like to move on to earn more. And from what you said before, you and your wife are both earning under six figures throughout your careers, but there's still potentially room to move upward until you hit that six figure. So was that part of your equation as well? I mean, did you focus on that prior to getting to fire? Yeah. So, uh, so I, I was a physical therapist and I was working in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And like a lot of states, they'll have two, maybe three physical therapy schools in the whole state. Some don't have that many. Uh, in the city of Pittsburgh, we have three physical therapy schools. Wow. So like the supply demand is not in your favor. And I was only making actually about $40,000 to start. Wow. Uh, yeah. And the average salary for a physical therapist is in like the mid sixties, but by moving to a rural area, I was able to kind of get a double win where we lowered our housing costs and I increased my salary. So within like three years after starting at 40,000, I basically doubled that salary to closer to $80,000. 
And then my wife also, she increased. So she graduated with a bachelor's in math and she went back to school and got an MBA and she went back and got a master's in operations research. So she did that all through using employer, employer benefit where they paid her tuition. So we were able to get between us, we have six college degrees and we did it with, uh, she did it. She had less than $20,000 of debt total. And I did my all three with no debt at all. So yeah, we look at as far as earning more, I think just how can you add value? How can you get skills? But I think a lot of people are so focused on income and focused on how they're going to go and get a college degree and they don't look what they're spending on it. So I would really focus a lot on acquiring skills, but doing it in a way that makes sense that you're going to get a return on your investment. Okay. I like that. Getting a return on your investment, investing in your earning power, investing in your education. I love it. And then I want to move on to number three, probably my favorite category to talk about in all of this is invest better. And what does that mean to you as one of the choose FI guys? Yeah. So I think traditionally when you talk investing to investing people or you listen to investing people, uh, a lot of people have like their way and they think there's one right or wrong way. Yeah. And what I really kind of believe in what we wrote in the book is there's really three paths to invest better. And you really have to match it up with a couple of things. Like one, what are like, what is your savings rate? What is your income? What makes sense for you? Like, so for myself, I said, we saved 50%. So for us, a passive index fund approach to investing works really well because we're putting away enough money that, and if you just kind of get average returns over your lifetime, you know, you're going to retire in 15, 16 years, if you can do that. And you can, it's a very fast and very passive and very easy way to get to financial independence while you focus on the other things that you can more control with increasing your earning and decreasing your spending and and just growing that gap between the two. So that's one path, but it doesn't work for everybody. If you're saving five or 10%, which is kind of the standard advice, you may never reach financial independence or it's going to take you to your sixties or seventies. So you need to kind of look at different approaches that match up. And so the other two approaches that we talk about, and we look at a bunch of different people that have achieved financial independence in different ways is investing in real estate. So you can start to lever up your returns and use some debt, use some sweat equity, add value to different deals in different ways. Or the other thing is investing in your own business and growing that where it's definitely not passive. In a lot of ways, you're creating a job. But as you, if you can grow it and scale it and do it wisely, eventually you can start to phase yourself out of the business and you can start to you know hire out the parts of the job that you don't like to do or want to do and just really focus on the things that are fun for you and you can get much higher returns doing that. But they're very, they're three very different approaches to investments, all have unique risks, all have unique uh, requirements on the part of the investor to, to be able to do it well and to succeed. I really like that you put invest in your own business in there because that is maybe, I think the, maybe the least obvious option out of all of those opportunities to invest. And to, to kind of follow up on that list, the passive index investing and psychology of what it takes to successfully do that. We recently, earlier this year, had a massive drop in index prices. And to the savvy Warren Buffett type value investor, that drop in price is a great buying opportunity. But to some of the rest of us who are human and have emotions, not to be rude to Warren Buffett, but we get scared when we see that big of a drop. And these things are so liquid, we can just say, well, shoot, I might, I might be looking at losing my job. I might, you know, do I have enough savings? Maybe I just want to sell and get out before it goes down even more. So how do you deal with that psychological aspect of 
just handling the fear. Like these things are out of your control and the sell button is definitely within my control. So how do I keep from hitting that sell button and exiting at the wrong time? Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate that question because it's really easy to say, you know, you know, buy low, sell high, and you know, it, it yep. rolls off the tongue and it's so easy to say, but like, I can tell you, like we have, so what we do is we have a written plan. Like, this is what we're going to do. This is when we rebalance. This is what our allocation is. And we just followed it. And April 1st is kind of our, our plan. The way we have it written is after we file our taxes and, and do all that, we kind of know where we're at for the year. So that's when we do our rebalance. So April 1st was my day. And, and I can tell you, it's really easy to say, again, say buy low, sell high, but on that day when the markets are dropping some days, it was 10, 12% in a day, if you recall. And that was when my time was coming up and my plan said, this is when you rebalance. And it's really a lot of people saying, you know, this is going to drop another 30 or 40%. And like, you really want to rebalance at that point and buy more stocks and you just have to trust your plan. And that's what we did. And as things have rebounded, I mean, it's, it's worked out really well, but it certainly could have continued to drop. And, and I'm not convinced that it's not going to drop more again, but you know, that's kind of the process and you have to really educate yourself and, and I'm a firm believer in, you know, having a written plan. It's, it's very reassuring to go back to. Nice. To what extent do you think about, I mean, you, you mentioned index funds, which doesn't just include U.S. stocks and bonds, but if you're setting up your financial future for the rest of your life in your late 30s, early 40s, I mean, inflation is going to have an impact on the dollar to some extent. We might not be talking about the Peter shift, the sky is falling, we're all going to be, you know, fighting over rice or whatever. But inflation is a factor over the course of 40 to 50 years, which is, you know, the time horizon that you're looking at. So do you think about maybe diversifying the currency or do you feel that the S&P, NASDAQ, whatever is sufficient enough of an inflation hedge? Like where does that factor in? Yeah, so my own personal approach we have we diversify in domestic stocks, international stocks. We hold some small cap value, all in index funds, but we diversify that way. We hold REITs, and so within our portfolio, we we rely on diversification. But the other thing we do is we look at diversifying outside of our portfolio. So even though I'm quote unquote retired, we talked about like my wife continues to work part time, so we have income coming in that way, and it's in a way that fits with our lifestyle. She works part time, but she works remote. Her company's in. The Washington DC area. We live in Utah, so we're kind of ski bums. We ski about 50 days a year, and we're able to do that with our with her lifestyle. We have a seven year old daughter. We're both very involved with her school, and so she works that way and brings in some income. And I write. I write at the blog. Uh, Can I retire yet? And I wrote the book that I mentioned. So we have some income coming in that way, and we're kind of always looking to continue to grow. And I think you know, particularly for me, like I I have an interest in finance, and I have an interest in personal fitness and wellness and health, which are probably two of the more demand things to to be able to do. So as long as you can add value to people, I'm really not, I wouldn't consider it a failure if I ever have to go back to work. And I'm kind of constantly trying to learn and develop new skills where I can be of value to other people. And so, yeah, it's just not something that I worry about a whole lot because I don't choose to define retirement in the way that most people that, you know, you quit work completely and you draw down your investments because this is what you do. You can define retirement however you want. You can do whatever you want to fit your lifestyle. Well, I, I really like that. And that brings to another question I wanted to to bring up is like, how do you even know in your early 40s, late 30s, you know, generally considered to be early? How do you even know you're really ready to retire? I mean, that's a that's a big thing to look at, to to think about and 
to commit to. I mean, yeah, you can you can go back and get a job, but let's face it, it's not going to be easy to go back to a new employer and say, well, I retired, but I'm not ready to retire. And they're going to look at you and say, this guy's in his early 40s and he thought he was ready to retire. What kind of a nut is this guy? Why should I hire him? Is he going to decide in two years he wants to retire again? I mean, those are all big questions, right, that you had to face when making that decision. Yeah, so... So my career, I was a physical therapist and I definitely like, if you go to my blog on the top on the header, it says retired at 41 and, and that's kind of draw people in and say, you know, what is his story? What did that do? Um, I honestly don't consider that a success necessarily that you can retire at 41. I think if I was looking at this differently from the beginning, I think I would have probably cut back to part-time work and maybe worked a bit longer. And I really just burnt myself out. I was so within a few years of being in the American medical system and like you're, you're just dictated to by insurance companies. And as a physical therapist, um, you learn all these great skills and then you go into the clinic and a lot of what you do, frankly, is babysitting. Like people come in and they like, you know, you can give them stuff to do on their own and they don't want to do it. And you kind of, you spend a lot of your day babysitting. And (laughs) I was just totally burnt out to be honest with you. I worked for the same company for 15 years. It was such a good employer in my office out of six people, I was the second newest person after 15 years. Uh, nobody leaves. It's just a great company to work for. And I didn't like it there. And I was like, if I don't like it here, I'm not going to like it anywhere. So I knew it was time for a change. But again, like with my wife, she I mentioned she went back to school. She got her second uh, master's degree and then got laid off and never got to use it. Wow. So then the guy she was working with at that company, he was with a startup and they recruited her. And again, we had this kind of flexibility and, you know, I said, just throw it out there. Do you want to work part-time? You want to work remote and all these things. And she kind of threw out this wish list and they said yes to everything. So for her, it doesn't make sense to retire. And, and I think it's just a very individual decision. But for me, it just came down to like, if I wasn't happy there, I, I think the easiest thing is to switch careers. But when I looked at my situation, I mean, I had four weeks of vacation, like there was really nothing else I could have asked for and they could have given me more money wouldn't have made me happy. I just needed a change in my life. And so I knew it was the right decision for me. And I haven't looked back. Interesting. Interesting. Do you think that, I mean, you're in the the fire community and fire community has got a lot of thought leaders, uh, maybe not a lot, but there are plenty of people out there who have retired early and are talking about it. And I'm sure there are many who retired early and are not talking about it. Do you think that, and this is just from the outside looking in, do you think that the aspect of getting out there talking about it after you're financially independent and retired early, do you think that kind of helps with the, the life satisfaction of transitioning from having a job every day to now you have your kind of sort of side hustle, you have your own little business that you're you're working on. I mean, could most people really conceivably handle going from working full-time, even if they're burned out like you were, to not having some kind of business or something like that? Can Can people really handle that, I wonder? My opinion is not very many, particularly the people that are motivated and driven enough to do this at 35 or 40 years old. You know, I think there are probably people that, you know, you slave away for 30, 40 years and you're just, you want to be done and your body's broken down and you can retire at 60 or whatever. But yeah, I mean, somebody that's that motivated and and that driven and that innovative to kind of figure this all out, especially now, I mean, there was no fire community when we were doing this, we were just kind of winging it. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I know I personally, I could not do that. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say that I am, I was kind of, I was something I was a little bit worried about and I would definitely say I've never been bored for one day and I've never thought about going back to work for one day. I mean, I have more things to do than, than I have time to do them still. Cause I just, I have so many interests and I'm just a generally driven person. So yeah, that's, that's a good, fair question. 
That's good. I mean, it's, it's something I think about because I have not seen the study, but I've heard, you know, through the grapevine or whatever that statistically folks who retire earlier die earlier, just uh, kind of on, on average. And I find it a little hard to believe that that doesn't also impact the people who retire like really early. It's not just, we're talking 60 versus 70 or 55 versus 70. We're talking people in their thirties and forties who managed to retire early. I have to imagine it impacts them. Yeah. Yeah. And like when I found this whole fire community, this whole idea of fire, I'll admit I was very skeptical. And particularly like back then it was like Mr. Money Mustache and the mad scientist. And like all these people were blogging anonymously. You didn't even know anybody's Mm -hmm. real name and like anybody could write anything. And I was very skeptical. And I remember um, I sat down with my accountant and uh, I kind of went over some of these tax strategies I was reading about. And she just looked at me with this like look in her eye. And I was like, what, is this like something illegal? Is this crazy? And she's like, no, this is like really brilliant. Where did you get this from? I like, nobody comes, like everybody just wants you to fill out their tax forms. And I kind of told her and she looked stuff up and she said, no, this is really legit. And like, like this light bulb went in my head. It's like, well, I always thought like investing and tax planning was so difficult. And I always thought retirement was 65. And it really kind of made me say like, well, what else am I not questioning? And then like, that's kind of where I talked about that idea of redefining retirement. Like most people say, well, you're not really retired because you're writing a blog or you're writing a book or your wife works part-time. It's like, I feel retired. I'm doing the things that I want to do. And like, I don't have to live by your definition of retirement. And, and it really, it, it transcends retirement and finance to, you know, diet and faith and relationships. And like, there's so many things that we just go through the day and we don't question because that's just what people say. This is what it is. And this is what you do. And as you start to step back and you realize there's really not a whole heck of a lot of rules, like you can make up a lot of the rules as you go and design your own life the way you want to live it. But people, I think, just don't question things nearly enough. And and that's been one of my biggest take homes since I found the whole fire message, even bigger than the financial aspects. Have to be willing to question and think outside the norm. I love that. And, and you touched on one thing that I really wanted to circle back around on was the tax planning and strategy. And I wanted to just pull a few things out of you, things that you learned. I think you said earlier, you didn't know some things and then you learned through their fire bloggers or, or however that you incorporated. And obviously we are in no way tax professionals are giving any tax advice. But for your own situation, I wanted to pull out some of those tax planning lessons that you learned and your financial planner loved so much. So tell us about those. Yeah. So when I started, I mentioned that we were just kind of blindly following a financial advisor. And so he had us bypassing our 401k to invest with him because he was selling projects which with commissions. Of course. Um, and like what we learned through the fire blogs is once you develop this savings rate between what you make and what you what you spend, if you can just tuck away and max out these tax advantage vehicles, so you can defer a lot of your income. And so that lowers the income that you're paying at marginal at your highest tax rates in a given year. And then you spread that out. If you retire early, you can spread that out over many, many years and pay it at the lowest marginal rates. And so you're going to maybe take, you know, for us, it was at the time, 25, I guess that's not the 22%. And we went a little bit into the 28% bracket. Uh, And in retirement, I don't see, like even in semi-retirement where my wife's still making a decent income and I'm making some income from the blog, um, we really don't go much above the, um, we don't go above the 12%. We don't go too far into the 12% tax bracket. So that's a pretty nice savings right there just at our marginal rates. Uh, But then some of that's spread out where you're you're being taxed at below the, the standard deduction. So you have for a married couple, twenty-five ish thousand dollars plus with a kid, another two thousand. You don't pay any income tax at all, 
as you move that and spread it out over a long time. So just really simple things like that uh, and understanding the tax code. I know like as I was writing the book, the first person that read it, my dad, I think initially he thought I was having a midlife crisis when we told him we were like retiring <laughs> early and stuff. And then he started reading my blog and he thought it was interesting and he's retired now. So he asked like, as I was writing the book, if he could read the chapters and it was really helpful to get his feedback. And like he said, he paid taxes for 65 years and he never at all understood the tax code or how he was taxed or what the difference between a marginal and a effective tax rate was. And, wow. and again, talking to my accountant, she was even surprised that we understood this because like most people that come to her, uh, so it's really rare, but it, it's quite simple. And we break it down in one chapter of the book. And I've had a lot of people say that like, that's been the most uh, impactful for them, that there was just so many things that they didn't quite understand. Wow. That's so interesting. I mean, I suppose, I don't know when you're so, I, I would say any, I'm fairly steeped in this world and, and, anyone listening to this podcast, listening to us talk right now is probably fairly steeped in this world. They would take for granted that, you know, the difference between a marginal and effective tax rate, for example. But I guess from what you're saying, folks don't know that. And that's shocking. Right. And, and as a, as writing the book, I mean, we weren't trying to write another fire book or blog that's preaching to the choir. What we wanted to do is introduce this to a much bigger audience. So, you know, you do want to, I guess, get this out to your tribe and have them spreading the message for you. Uh, But like some of the things that I'm most proud of is like, I mean, again, my daughter's only seven. So when she was born, I knew nothing about personal finance. And like, I've been on the Morningstar podcast and like Christine Benz, who does that podcast, she just wrote a big thing on Morningstar about changing her whole opinion of fire after after that discussion. Hmm. And uh, like, I've been on some podcasts for the focus on dads and focus on outdoor community, which I'm a big part of. And this message just transcends and it's just not that difficult. And that's kind of what we want to get out there is like, you don't have to be this like super frugal living on beans and rice and trying to retire in five years and not doing anything fun. But like, if you just get a couple big things right and you understand these key concepts that nobody teaches you anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very achievable for an average, you know, an average person with a a decent income and a, you know, a willingness to want to do it. Wow. That's interesting. I mean, I I think the living on beans and rice and like you said much earlier, cut out the latte or, you know, whatever it is, it just, it doesn't resonate with a lot of folks because we know we don't want to live on beans and rice or we really like the latte and a lot of the kind of, I don't know, maybe old guard personal finance advice is, well, get rid of the latte because you drink, you know, a hundred of them a year and they're four bucks a piece. That's $400. But yeah, it's $400. You're not retiring at $400 and you like the latte. So drink, drink the freaking latte. Who cares? It's not that big a deal compared to your housing costs, your car and, and your tax bill to go back to the few things that you've highlighted for us today. So the, the book we wrote, it came really from this Choose FI, their podcast from their community. And I, and I took their podcast and and put it into a book, but there's a concept that actually came from a listener that that called into the show, and they they use the term being a valuist, where you line up your spending with your values. And so, like for me, like I said, I just didn't really care about having the fanciest house, and I could not care any less about cars. Like I, I just don't care. We have now one car between the two of us. I just don't care about cars at all. But like throughout our journey to um, financial independence, we were really into traveling and outdoor things, and. We've hiked Kilimanjaro and been on an African safari. Cool. We've done high altitude mountaineering in South America and Mexico. I've dove the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. I've even been to two Super Bowls. I told you I was a Pittsburgh person. Like, it's a really religious community, and the religion is Steeler football. And so, <laughs> yeah, like when I had the opportunity, yeah, I scalped tickets to a Super Bowl, and those things mattered to me. But like my wife and I, we don't give each other Christmas presents because it's like we do the stuff we want to do, and we don't care to do that stuff. She doesn't wear jewelry, um, just stuff like that. Like. 
So it's not that, I mean, maybe the latte you don't want to spend on if it's not important to you, but if it is, then that's fine. But what doesn't and take that out. And, and I think that's much more important than following any goofy gurus, uh, ideas and, and their rules, make your own rules. A valueist. I love that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Chris, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I think I'm starting to see the dividends on this investment now. But so my daughter is seven going on eight. And I mentioned like we are big into the outdoors. So we're skiers, we're climbers, we mountain bike, all that stuff. And like when you have a kid, it's it's a strain on your lifestyle. And we just kind of committed that we were going to kind of lead, let her lead us, but we were going to make her like, we're going to get her outside and have her appreciate that. But whatever she liked to do, then we're going to kind of let her do that. So like it was backbreaking skiing with a two-year-old between your legs and, (laughs) and like riding bikes and dealing with the tears and like pushing her bike up the hill to make it fun for her so she can ride the downhill parts. But like now at seven, I mean, we go and we ski and she can ski everything we ski Again, she still isn't into like the hike out stuff, but I mean, she skis black diamond stuff. We ride bikes, we get out on paddle boards and she's just an awesome kid. So, but yeah, it was kind of a backbreaking three or four years with a lot of tears, (laughs) more from my wife and I than my daughter, because we tried to make it fun for her, but yeah, it's definitely paying off now. And so hopefully we'll have a good 10 years before she's out of high school and and out on her own. And we'll be able to do these family adventures that, that we want to do. So that was a big investment for us. Awesome. That's great. That's great. Well, we had your best investment. Now on the other side of that coin, we have the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Uh, I told you we, we used a uh, commission-based advisor. So there's a lot of them. I think the single worst, so my wife switched jobs and she had about $100,000 in a 403B. And our advisor advised us to roll it over with him. And so inside of a tax-deferred vehicle, and, and I don't want to get too technical, I don't know exactly how much your audience is into this, but we rolled it into a variable annuity inside of a tax deferred vehicle. But if you look anything up about that or know anything about it, there's absolutely no reason for an investor to do that. But there's a heck of a lot of a reason for a reason for an advisor who's getting a huge commission uh-huh. to sell you a variable annuity inside of a tax deferred account. But basically what that vehicle is, it's an insurance product hybrid with mutual funds. The big advantage of it is it gives you tax deferral and, and, and growth of your investments. It's basically like putting it into a 401k, which is, it was already in. And so it just basically generated a ton of fees for him. So yeah, it was about a $10,000 mistake to get out of it in surrender charges. Yeah. So that wasn't fun. (laughs) Wow. That sounds painful, not only for the bill, but also for just the the psychological feeling of, oh man, we got taken for a ride. We didn't even see it coming once you figure it out. I would say that single investment, but that whole experience with the advisor was the the impetus for me to start writing my original blog that I started on was called eat the financial elephant. And it was really that concept of, you know, how to eat an elephant one bite at a time. And it was so overwhelming, like, because I was trying to not only learn how to invest, but I was also dealing with all these past investments and how do we get out of them in a tax efficient way and what makes sense and without further shooting ourselves in the foot. And yeah, so that was my, that was my kind of start into getting into this stuff. Wow. Painful lesson. Well, Moving on to my favorite question here at the end of the show. What is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, I think we kind of already touched on this, but I really think just ask more questions. I think that that really not only in business and investing, but that really transcends into all aspects of life. Uh, And that was my big take home that I took from the whole financial independence and fire movement, though, is just ask more questions and continue to ask until you find the answer that makes sense. 
Nice. I like that. Well, Chris, thank you for bringing these lessons to us today and teaching us about financial independence, how you achieved it, how others can achieve it. If folks want to learn more about you, if they want to get in touch, if they want to get a copy of the book, where can they find you? Yeah. So my home on the internet is at caniretireyet.com. And I'm very responsive to comments and emails there. That's the best way. I'm not super active on social media. And the book is Choose FI, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. And you can find that on Amazon or really anywhere books are sold. And I'd love it if people would check that out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks once again for joining us today. I appreciate all of these lessons. And I think, you know, we typically talk about real estate investing on the show and we're, we're starting to meld some of these financial independence topics in because what's the point of investing in real estate and putting all this work in if we can't manage our own finances and set targets and retire when we decide we want to retire. So we need to work on melding these topics and that's exactly what we are working on today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. Helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. Have a great day and a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.